Wonderful to see everybody. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but we're in Romans. We've been in Romans for two, three weeks or so, as I recall, uh, and we've been going through it. Uh, the goal not being to get through Romans, uh, but rather for Romans to get through us, and I hope it has been doing that. We're going to look at a little more of it tonight. It's in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, and that's all we're going to look at tonight, Romans 15, verse 14, and, uh, but it's just a marvelous verse stock full of good information, as you'll see. Uh, here's how it begins, and concerning you. I had to stop there just for a second, and I looked at those three words, and I was reminded that uh, this is the reason why reading the Bible makes sense. Uh, there's nothing in it that doesn't concern us directly or in some other way. There is no book you could be exposed to that in full measure concerns you. There are good things to read out there, interesting and stimulating things for sure. But the Bible is exceptional in that every word of it applies to you. And so I think we need not look any further for motivation to read it. It concerns you and I. And so it says, and concerning you, well, who? The author of this letter addresses his remarks to those whom he now refers to as my brethren. So there you are, and concerning you, my brethren. You know by now the author is Paul. He was an uh, uh, authorized representative of the Lord. In fact, he was unusual in that he was authorized to write biblical truth. He's one of the biblical writers. He had much to say. He was a person of notoriety and authority. And he used his authoritative position to point out sometimes uh, hard things in the lives of those who were recipients of what he had to say. He had done that already in prior chapters in this letter, the letter of Romans. But now he wants to assure them that though he had some hard things to say, he's writing as a family member. My brethren. Folks, that's family terminology. He wasn't their CEO, their general, the principal of their school. It was nothing quite so distant and formal, nothing like that. It was intensely personal. He's saying, I know I probably have stepped on toes. Perhaps I've offended some of you, but please know I speak to you not as an outsider taking pot shots. I'm part of the family. You are my brethren. Now, he had spoken to them in particular about a subject which is uh, quite a, a relevant one today in the subject of racism. Apparently, we haven't solved the problem. It still is rearing its ugly head in our society, as it did way back here 2,000 years ago. And uh, there were racist attitudes between members of the family of God, some of whom were Jewish and others of whom were Gentile. <clears throat> Those are two racially different, disparate Groups, they have different uh, tastes in food, different senses of humor. All, all the rest is uh, true. Lots of reason to divide, and they were. They were not accepting each other, though the Messiah accepted them. Apparently, they had higher standards than he did, and they were not accepting one another. 
And Paul intervenes and says, this is unacceptable. How can you, how dare you reject one whom God himself has accepted? And so he's addressing this issue, speaking to them quite strongly about it. And now he refers to them as brethren. He's just a master. He wasn't afraid to admonish them, but he wanted to assure them, even though I didn't have things that are really good for you to, to hear, I want you to know you're not good for nothings. Good night, your brethren. We're all in the family of God through faith in the Messiah, Jesus. And so he uses this family term, brethren. He had tough things to say to them, but he doesn't want them to think he thinks they're good for nothing. And so he says, now, here's the rest of the verse, uh, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Now, Paul is not flattering them. He's not saying that by nature they possess these qualities. He's saying, in fact, that by nature you sin. Remember he said that earlier, all Jews, all Gentiles have sinned, all Jews, all Gentiles have fallen short of the holy standards of God. Remember he said that? That's what our nature is like. So here he is not complimenting them on their inherent virtuous nature. They don't have it. He's saying things are different now that God's spirit has entered into your life. In Hebrew, we refer to him as uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit, which one? The Holy One. And Paul is saying, now that you are temples of God's Spirit in you, you have a well that you could go to as a resource that you never had before. It's a well of goodness and it's a well of knowledge. And Paul is saying, even though I had to point out some flaws in your behavior towards one another, make no mistake about it, I'm aware of the fact that now that Christ has come into your life, he's transformed your lives. It's evident in your thinking, in your verbalization, in your behavior. I can see that you're filled up with goodness and with knowledge. That's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, I'm persuaded that in spite of your human flaws and failings, you can draw on the goodness and knowledge which God has implanted in you. Goodness and knowledge together. What a rare coupling of virtues. Goodness and knowledge. A rare partnership. They have both the heart, that's goodness, and the head, that's knowledge of a new person in Christ Jesus. And because of it, he says, I believe you are able also to admonish one another. And that's the closing phrase, isn't it, of this verse. I'm confident you are able also to admonish one another. He who had previously admonished them says that they are able also to admonish one another. He says, not just me, <laughs> with all my training and authority, but you, one to each other. I'm confident, he said, you're able to admonish one another. You know, he had been speaking to them about getting it together. He'd been speaking to them about disunity, which can mar uh, our testimony. He'd been speaking to them about accepting one another and living harmoniously. And now he says, I believe you're able to admonish one another. But boy, is that ever risky business, if you've tried it. Someone said, advice is not a very popular thing to give. 
Have you tried it lately? Have you spoken into someone's life, even in an unsolicited way? What was their reaction? So there's risk involved in relationship. I'll never forget the time. A million years ago when I was just sort of starting out in the ministry, somebody uh, who I knew and still do came over to me and he put his arm around me and he said, Stuart, I think you are going to have a difficult time in the ministry. I said, why? He said, because you care too much about what people think of you. I was so mad. I didn't like what he thought of me. I thought, who is this guy? You know, take your hand off of me and all this kind of stuff. And look at how I remember what he said. It's uh, over 30 years ago. And I thought, my goodness, what a risk he took. He risked the friendship in order to point out a blind spot in my life that I have uh, worked on with God's help ever since then for 30 years. So, so, so advice giving is risky business. But Paul says you can do it. And in fact, he says you, you ought to do it. He just himself admonished them to accept one another. And now he admonishes them to admonish one another. Uh, There was a wise man named Solomon, King Solomon, wisest man who ever lived. Folks, I I want to show you some people who are coming in. And I don't mean, not Jimmy. Jimmy we see all the time. But uh, these are special people who are guests of ours tonight. And uh, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I want people to know who you are because they're special guests. And I want to just introduce them correctly. These are members of the Passion for Christ International Center, and guess where it's located? Right here in good old Houston, Texas. And I think one of these people is their pastor, and I'm going to take a shot at uh, pronouncing Pastor Chuck's Otalor's name. Brother, how did I do? Not too bad? Welcome to you. I got some coaching from your wife. Here is Mrs. Otalor. Where's Mrs. Otalor? God bless you. This is Dr. Otalor, and right here. And these are members of the Passion for Christ International Ministry right here in Houston, Texas. God bless you. Thank you for coming to be with us. Wonderful, wonderful. Get to know them later if you'd like. So King Solomon uh, had this statement to make in Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. He said, better is open rebuke, look at that, than love that is concealed. Huh? Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, he said, better that someone even publicly would rebuke you than someone who says they love you to conceal it. And and then Solomon goes on to say, not only that, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So the guy I just told you about 30 years ago who wounded me, yeah, 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 he did. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. In fact, Solomon says, deceitful in comparison are the kisses of an enemy. You see what I mean? How do we grow through blind spots if they remain blind spots? By definition, we can't see areas in which we're blinded. But if someone, a caring other, comes alongside and says, because I care for you, I have to point this, I have to point this out to you. I'll never forget, uh, not too many years ago here at Sagemont Church, I was teaching in Bible study in the days before we called them iConnect Bible Studies. So that just shows you how long ago it was. We used to call them Sunday school class, if you recall. So that's ancient history. Anyway, uh, 
I used a word twice in the class. It wasn't uh, a vulgarity. It wasn't an obscenity, but it was crude. It was a crude word. I used it twice. I wasn't aware of it. And one of the men in the church, one of our deacons, came up to me afterwards. He put his arm around me, and he said, uh, Brother Stewart, I, uh, I need to speak into your life because I care about you. He said, you're better than that. What do you mean, said I? Those words, they're just, they're coarse, they're coarse. I know they're exclamatory words. They're dramatic, and they get, they get attention. I got all that. But there's options. Uh, it's just too coarse. He said, you could do better. And I remember telling him, like, I didn't even know I said that. He said, oh, yeah, two times. He said, I wrote it down right here. He said, you know. And uh, I said to him, well, listen, uh, here's my problem. I, I don't want to do it again, but I can't promise I won't because apparently it's become habitual and I'm not even aware of it. Can you help me? I said, I give you permission. Can you please speak into my life uh, so that we can get rid of this? So please help me. And I have not, to my knowledge, uh, used those particular words. You're dying to know what the word is, aren't you? <laughs> oh, man. You're, 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 I tell you, you're, your standards are as low as mine. I'm, you know, that's not important. But, 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 but because of him, I don't use that word anymore. Again, it wasn't, a vote, it wasn't something crazy. I don't want you to think worse of me than you already do, but, um, but I, wasn't aware, I wasn't aware. Faithful are the wounds of a, is he a true friend, points out blind spots, and uh, Paul says, you believers in Rome, you're Jews, you're Gentiles, you don't like each other, there's racial stuff, too bad. You've been brought together by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, uh, the Messiah of Israel. He's accepted you the way you are. You have this racist thing going on. You got the we versus the them and all the rest. And, the, you know, the, our group and their group. Paul says that racism thing. Uh, oh, my goodness. That mars your testimony. Detracts from the glory of God who delights in the mosaic, the diversity of his kids. He loves being the father of kids who don't look the same. Uh, and, and, and so Paul is saying... Uh, uh, you you, you got to get over that. And he's saying, here's what you got to do. Instead of biting at one another, I'm confident that you being filled with all goodness and knowledge ought to admonish one another. You ought to speak in one another's life so that you can grow. You know what he's saying? You Roman believers, in spite of your racial differences, you are able to be a self-correcting group. Perhaps the only self-correcting community on earth, the church of Jesus Christ. If we stop biting at each other for differences and instead admonish, speak into one another's life, pointing out blind spots so that we can reveal a little more accurately the representation of the Lord Jesus in our life. Paul says, I'm confident you can do those kinds of things. And if you do those kinds of things, you'll be the only self-correcting community on earth. Do you know of a political party that's a self-correcting community today? Are you kidding me? Do you know of any community that is? Not government, not anything, but the church can be. If we listen to Paul's exhortation here in one verse of Scripture. Folks, here's the point. None here in our body is so wise that they have nothing more to learn. And none here in our body is so new to the faith 
that he or she has nothing to share. We can speak into each other's life. Paul says now that the Lord Jesus Christ is in you in the power of his spirit, now that you're filled with all goodness and knowledge, I'm confident you can admonish one another. And by the word, the word, by the way, the word admonish, you, you know, this was written in a different language, entirely Greek. We refer to it from time to time. And in Greek, the one word admonish is two words. Uh, put together, it becomes a compound word. And here's the two words, mind and to put or to place. So, so what Paul is saying, I'm confident you can put, you can place truth into each other's minds. Why? Because each of you, regardless of your level of maturity in the Christian life, regardless of your race, regardless of your age, economic status, and educational level, each of you, Paul says, I'm not saying this, I'm just reading it. Paul said, I'm confident that each of you has the capacity to put truth into someone else's mind. Some do it formally in a teaching capacity, in a Bible class or something, but primarily we do this one-on-one, like the guy who said to me, Stuart, two times you used a coarse word, or that other guy I told you about 40 years ago. It's usually it's private. It's advice. It's, a, it's a recommendation. It's a counsel. It's guidance. Paul says you can do that for one another. Now, folks, each of us here has something in common. We have to make decisions every single day. Everybody here. Unless, now, if you're married, uh, you, you, you don't have to make, you, you know, you know, my lovely wife is, is here tonight. And so, so, for instance, if I put on a shirt that I think I'm going to wear, and my wife says, so are you going to wear that shirt? tonight sometimes I say you know I'm 65 years old I got like a driver's license I'm a tax-paying citizen you know I thought like I had maybe the opportunity the authority yeah to choose my shirt but apparently I don't so if you're married you don't have to make decisions but uh, Otherwise, most of us have to make decisions. And most of them are as commonplace as what shirt are you going to wear. But some decisions are very critical. And they have irreversible consequences, don't they? And the decision-making process, isn't it harder for you or me now that you're a Christian? I'll tell you why. Before I was a Christian and had to make decisions, I didn't think about what would Jesus do. I thought about what does Stuart want to do? That's what you did too. We were the masters of our own destiny. We didn't do too good. But that's how, that's how we ran our life. But now that we're believers, we willingly want to submit to the lordship of a master who gave his life to us. So it gets a little trickier now because now the question in making decisions is, how do I discern the will of God? Well, you and I know of some familiar sources of help. Let me just uh, refresh your memory. Here's one. How about the Bible? You know, we refer to it as the word of God. I have not seen Jesus with my eyes yet. Uh, how do I access him? Well, the enfleshed word, that's Jesus, can be found in the written word, that's the Bible. And so it's very interesting. Uh, you can see a parallel between the characteristics of Jesus and the characteristics of the Bible. They're exactly the same. You see what I mean? So, so if I want to access the mind of Christ, 
The Bible is the first place to go. And here's another source of help in decision-making. How about prayer? Have you, I don't want to shame anybody. I'll just shame myself. I can't believe how sometimes I'm laboring over something and I didn't even go to the throne of grace and say, Abba, Father, what would you have me do? <laughs> and that's something. How about this one, circumstances? Now, you got to be careful here because someone else can affect circumstances too. He's Satan. So you want to be a little careful here. You don't want to read too much into circumstances, but you don't want to ignore circumstances. How about peace? That's a good thing. You know, I just don't think, generally speaking, God is going to lead us into places where his grace is insufficient to, to hold us, to keep us. You know what I mean? So the person who says, I, I, uh, I, I hate this service role, I hate this ministry position, you know, I, whatever it is, it's unlikely God's hand is in it. This should be a measure of peace in your heart. And then how about this uh, consideration, effect on others. You ever think about that? You say, I'm free in Christ to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. And you're also free to live with the consequences thereof, one of which could be to really cause other people to stumble. So you want to think about uh, this uh, movie I'm thinking of seeing, this uh, beverage I'm about to uh, consume, this uh, thing I'm about to smoke. Uh, yeah, I feel free to do those things. But what about the effect of others? How will it affect them? And then this one, uh, common sense. I should have added sanctified common sense. Oh my goodness, it's an oft-neglected source of help. Use your head. <laughs> Make sense. You know, one time a guy came to me, he says, Stuart, I'm thinking about being an insurance salesman. Okay, that's cool. It's an honorable profession, stuff like that. And uh, what's, what, what's the hesitation? Uh, I'm not very outgoing. I, I don't like meeting new people. I'm not very conversational and uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy, he said to me, you look, if I offered someone life insurance policy, you know, and the guy said to me, uh, thanks for offering me this, but I already have enough life insurance. I'm the guy who would say, okay, thanks, see ya. To which I said to him, um, you know, I just don't think you're using your noggin. You would be like a square peg in a round hole. You know, sales is just not, that's just not your it's not your thing. I mean, the guy was just looking for some mysterious writing across the sky when it was just obvious it wasn't designed for him. Okay, so those are all sources of help in decision-making. And here, in my opinion, is the most often neglected source of help in discerning the will of God. It's called seeking the counsel of others. Seeking the counsel of others. Do you know the Bible, uh, I found out, says a lot about this? In fact, here are some things I noticed about the subject just in doing a quick survey of one book, Proverbs. Let me quickly read this sampling of verses to you on the subject. Here's the first, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in, look what it says, abundance of counselors, there's victory. So for Folks like you and I who are prone to make independent decisions, boy, it sort of flies in the face of Proverbs eleven fourteen. An abundance of counselors, there's victory. How about Proverbs twelve fifteen? The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. How about this one? Proverbs thirteen ten. Through presumption comes nothing but strife. But with those who receive counsel, 
is wisdom. How about this one? Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. And this one, just one final one. Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Could you please tell me why is it that uh, people like you and me are so reluctant to ask for the advice of our brothers and sisters in critical life areas that have irreversible consequences? I think the main reason is we think if we ask it, we may be obligated to submit to it. But that's not true. No, 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 no. The only thing we are required to submit to unconditionally are the commandments of God. <laughs> we are not required to submit unconditionally to the advice of any human on earth. The only time what a man or woman is saying to us carries the force of command is when that one is sharing with us God's direct uh, commandment on that particular subject. So I shared this with you one time. No, I think actually several times, but I'm going to I'm going to do it again. I apologize to you. My wife and I uh, were courting and sparking in Germany years ago. <clears throat> she, uh, she fell in love with me, as you can understand. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I was with a missions organization. And in that organization, you get advice on stuff. You just don't go off and do something. So uh, we, we were at a point where we were... Uh, we were going to marry. We, we knew that the, God's hand was in it. And we were, we were going to marry. And uh, we were faced with the issue. I'm like really embarrassing you here. I think it's going to be a long ride home. But anyway, um, uh, but I'll know how to get home because you will tell me where to turn. So you don't have to think about, you know, you're turning here? Well, I thought I could. <clears throat> okay. So, um, so. The issue of birth control came up. We're, just, we're mostly adults here. I, I, the issue, we never thought about it. You know, what is that all about? So uh, we didn't know what does the Bible say. Search the scriptures. It's important, you know. And then we, we, we went to get counsel from godly men and women in the area. And uh, we spoke to, I think, close to a dozen of them to get some wisdom on the subject. And all, all we got was confusion because they were like split right down the middle. About six said, here's what should be your approach, and about the other six said, no, here's what should be your approach. We think, God, what's up? The Bible says in abundance of counselors there's victory, but all we have found is confusion. But we missed the whole point, don't you see? The role of counsel, advice, admonishment from others is not for those others to make the decision for you. No, 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 no. It's for them to, to speak to Virtually every facet of the decision you have to make so that when you pull back, then you're more intelligent about making the decision. I tell you, when we finished sitting at the feet of 12 godly counselors, we knew about every twist and turn on that particular subject, and then we made our own, our, our own decision. Remember, counsel, don't be afraid of it. It doesn't have the force of command. Only God's commandments have the force of, have the force of command. And so God said, I provided for you because I love you, I provided for you a very good accessible resource, a source of help in making decisions, and that is ask the input of others, particularly fellow Christians. A Jewish proverb uh, puts it this way. 
it's better to ask the way 10 times than to take the wrong road once. So I want to tell you something, and I don't mean to be hostile or harsh or anything like that. It's just a statement of fact. A good deal of the time I spend in the week, and by the way, I wake up every morning saying, oh God, what a privilege to be redeemed and to be in your service. I, I'm not tired of it. It's a privilege. Uh, you, please, if, if it sounds like I'm, I'm complaining here, then, then point out the blind spot later, would you please? Um, but most of the people I speak with are coming to me after they've made a decision. And now there are ramifications for it. Now I'm thrilled about it. Because there's two sort of phases to ministry. One is uh, prevention and the other is remedial repair. I must say, most of my time, I don't know about my peers, I think, I, I, I think it's accurate uh, with regard to them as well. Most of our time is spent taking remedial action with regard to bad decisions people have already made. We would rather, we would rather uh, um, have a preventative thrust. We would rather say, it is better to, take, to ask the way 10 times than to uh, take the wrong road w once. Someone spoke to me the other day and, and was saying, you know, uh, I, married, I married this person, this woman, <clears throat> and, but uh, 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 she's not the person I thought, I thought she was. And, uh, you know, uh, she's just entirely different. Um, and therefore, I, I, want, I'm, I want to get out of it now. You know, I'm, I want to speak to you about divorcement. Uh, I said, well, I, it's, not, uh, it's not an option. You know, uh, that's just not an option. Uh, and he said, no, no, I feel it's the right thing to do. So here's someone who felt very, very strongly about getting into a marriage and now feels just as strongly about getting out of the marriage. And in both cases, uh, that person is not listening to counsel. That is not a person worser than me, but that is a person who is putting so much confidence in what feels right, that person doesn't seem to see the need to have someone check out his, his thinking. This idea of, uh, you know, I woke up with someone who's not who she appeared to be or he appeared to be. Can I tell you something? I don't buy it. What I buy is, wow, you are a very poor judge of character. Wow, you didn't read the signals. Wow, you didn't do a background check. Wow, you're prone to do this again, aren't you? It's a pattern. It's a pattern here. So, so most of our time is spent, sadly, on, uh, on remedial action rather than a prevention. And uh, I, I hope I'm learning from this text, and I hope you are too. We're all on the same level. Before you make a critical, irreversible life decision, get counsel. An abundance of counselors, the text says, there's, there's victory. Let me tell you a story. Well, it's a Bible story. I didn't make it up. Uh, you heard of Joshua and the Israelites? They were slaves. God freed them. You know why he freed them? Because they cried out for freedom. What else are they going to do? Oh, God, they said, deliver us. That's all you got to do. God hears our cry for mercy. He doesn't hear our cry when we demand our rights. Don't be doing that. Cry for mercy. So the Israelites did. God sets them free. Slave people. He was slave for over 400 years. And then God says, I'm giving you a place. And he has them cross the Jordan River. And, uh, uh, the, and uh, this fellow Joshua is leading the pack. And my goodness, God is giving them victory. 
uh, in the land. God said, I want you to replace all the people in the land. Now, I know that raises in the minds of many kind of an ethical question. Well, that's one we can address another day. For now, let's just go with the flow. And, and so, you know, the walls of Jericho, they come down just because people are marching and singing and all this kind of stuff. So the people in the area are shaking in their boots. Oh, my goodness, here comes Joshua and his people. We're in trouble. So one group says, oh, my goodness, we got to come up with another plan. There are people who lived in a place called Gibeah, just a few miles from Jerusalem. You can go there today. And they were called Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites come up with this strategy. You know about this. It's in Joshua chapter 9. They say, let's get clothes that looks like, you know, they, they've deteriorated because of a long journey. Sandals that are worn out. Food that's kind of, uh, you know, moldy and all that kind of stuff. And that's so this what they do. And they come upon uh, Joshua. And uh, he says to them, where are you from? Surely you're right, you know, in the, you're in the neighborhood. And they said, no, 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 we're not, we're not from here. No, no, you can see, check it out. Look at our clothes, look at this, look at that. They were so smart, they knew by direct confrontation they couldn't beat up on Joshua, so they used uh, an even more effective strategy. If it's not direct confrontation, it's called deception. Which would be more effective against you? Someone directly confronts you and is going to punch you in the mouth. That's okay, you can see it coming. You duck or you take the hit. But deception, by definition, you can't see it coming. And so that's what they use quite effectively. So, so they say, take a look at this, take a look at that. They make the, their appeal to Joshua's senses. They say, see our clothes, look at our sandals, behold our, our food. And Joshua checks it out and says, yeah, I guess you're right. So he makes a covenant with them. Now, it's a whole long story. You say, what's wrong with making a covenant? But God said not to. That's, that's the deal. So Joshua does it, and there come to be horrific consequences. And so the last thing we read about... Uh, is in Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. It says, so the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. They, they, they relied on their senses, what they see, what they smell, what they taste, what they touch. It seemed very real to them. They did not seek godly counsel and something appearing very right turned out to be very wrong. This reminds me of what it says in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Folks, I think if I was there with Joshua, maybe you would agree, we would have prone victim to the, been prone uh, to the same deception he was. This being the case, why not do as Paul said? Why don't you advise one another? Why don't you admonish one another? Why don't you speak into one another's lives? Why don't you invite people to speak into your life before you make an irreversible decision? You know what I hear a lot? A couple begins to relate to each other romantically, and they can't see straight. Uh, you know, it's part of it. I mean, God made them male and female. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And, uh, and they lose objectivity. They become so enamored by each other's company, they begin to separate themselves from solid, supportive relationships. Those are people whose friends say, I don't see her anymore. I don't see him anymore. He used to hang, but now he's not hanging with us anymore. He's with her 24 hours a day. You know this kind of deal? That is the worst time to separate, to isolate yourself from friends who are willing to speak into your life, to say, hey, 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 you're leading with your senses. It seems so right, but have you thought about this? Have you considered that? Those are people 
who can point out blind spots in your life. Why not identify such people right here in your church and mine? Why not, why not say, oh, God, give me eyes to see the, those men, the, those women who I think have a close walk with you and who could give me godly counsel on various life here. Why not select them? And when it is appropriate, why not go and say, could, 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 I, could you meet with me? I'm on the verge of making this decision. I would like to run it by you. Could you speak uh, into my life? Uh, check out my thinking before I sign on the dotted line, uh, before uh, it becomes irreversible. Would you give me your admonishment? Would you give me, would you, are you willing to say, I'm willing to hear from you, my fellow brother or sister. I want to invite you to speak into my life. Folks, another old Jewish proverb says, before you climb the ladder, count the rungs. Most of us, if we're honest, will say, the better part of my time and energy and life is spent trying to undo the bad decisions I've already made. Don't be ashamed. That's not what this is about. God's grace is sufficient. <laughs> He's not finished with you. You have a future. You belong to the Lord Jesus. So please don't let me unduly hurt you. But still, I think we have a responsibility to say, wouldn't it be better to put your energy and time and all the rest into making a good, solid, wise decision to begin with so that you don't have to expend your energy on trying to deal with the consequences of the manifold the bad decisions that come our way, bad investments, bad partnership, uh, business partnerships, bad use of uh, resources we have, bad use of our time, bad relationships, all the rest that could really trap. And even though it's never, never, never quits with the Lord Jesus, who says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Let's just face it. Trying to undo the consequences of bad decisions can so sap of us, us of energy, we don't have the energy to go to Peru. We don't have the energy to go to Kenya. We don't have the energy to say, Lord, here I am, free. Send me. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn from Romans uh, 15, 14, and uh, perhaps you'll be willing to do that as well. Please be willing, please be willing to be admonished by caring others. Please be willing to accept even the unsolicited counsel of those who care for you, and please be willing to give it, point out blind spot. By the way, those of us in the ministry are not immune. We're, we're just brothers and sisters in Christ like everybody else. I hate the thought that I'm doing something that is really, really rubbing people the wrong way and nobody is telling me. Boy, am I gonna get a lot of emails this week. <laughs> Please, let's help each other grow. Let's be the only self-correcting community on earth, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we bow before you. Why shouldn't we? You're high and lifted up. Thank you for your very, very benevolent gaze upon us. You're not looking down with derision. I think you are delighted and you smile even at our flaws and foolishness and well sometimes our stupidity. We're little children aren't we? Father and we really need help in growing up. So regardless of our chronological age would you help us to grow towards spiritual maturity by 
assuming the responsibility of speaking into one another's life when there are blind spots and being willing to receive it when there are blind spots. Help us, Lord Jesus, to grow by listening to one another's admonishment. Help us to be the only self-correcting community on earth, the church which you have suffered and died so as to redeem. And this we pray in your name, the Lord Jesus, for you are the head of the church. Amen. Amen.